This is Dana Thomas, and you're listening to The Green Dream, a podcast about how to green up your life by Wondercast Studio. Climate change is bearing down on us like a mighty hurricane. And it's scary as hell, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dana Thomas, a leading voice in the sustainable fashion movement. On The Green Dream, I welcome global experts, creators, and change makers from politics, business, and the arts for dynamic conversations on how you can green up your life. The Green Dream is the podcast of hope. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and its select stores. When people talk about trying to reduce their carbon footprint, The one item that almost always comes up in the conversation is air travel, and with reason. Airplanes emit around 100 times more CO2 per hour than a shared bus or train ride. The total impact is believed to be 2.5% of all global CO2 emissions, and almost all of that comes from commercial aviation rather than private planes. Researchers believe that aviation accounts for approximately 4% of human-induced global warming more than most countries, including Germany. If the aviation industry was a country, it would be the sixth largest greenhouse gas emitter after China, the United States, India, Russia, and Japan. What to do? The world's population is not going to stop flying. Quite the opposite. There were nearly 40 million flights in 2019, pre-pandemic, and the numbers are quickly reaching that record again and will bypass it swiftly. Next year, that number is expected to be 4% higher. And by the mid-2030s, a mere 10 years from now, experts predict that there will be 200,000 flights a day. The only way to reduce aviation's impact on climate is to create an environmentally cleaner way to fly. And that's what our guest today, Val Miftakov, is doing with his company, Zero Avia. He'll explain how. Val Metzikoff, welcome to The Green Journey. So let's talk about planes and pollution. You report that aviation is the fastest growing source of greenhouse gas emissions that we have today. How so? Indeed, if you look at all the sectors that we have, all the sectors of economy that we have, a lot of the historically polluting sectors are now getting better and better and have technologies that improve them further. Like what? Like Power sector, for example, right? 20, 30 years ago, we had majority of the power generated by fossil fuels sources. And today we're well on track to the renewable. And some of the countries, some of the regions even, are already mostly renewable. And renewable power now is the cheapest power you can have. And if you want to build a new power plant, generally speaking, a renewable power plant is going to be the best investment. So whether it's solar in place where I'm at right now in California or southwestern United States and some other areas, or wind in the UK or geothermal in Iceland and hydro in some other place, renewable is now the cheapest source of electricity. On the ground, transportation, as you mentioned as well, you know, now we have electric cars, everybody sees the transition there. And these are power sector and ground transportation easily were you know, 30% each off the overall footprint. Now, 
the focus and the overall relative emissions are getting more and more concentrated in these hard to abate sectors. And there are some right. industries like the fashion industry, which I've written about. Yeah, there are some industrial sectors. There are some transportation sectors that are very, very stubborn. And one of them is aviation, probably the most difficult because you have to bring all the energy that you need in order to move the vehicle with yourself in the air. And you need to support it in the air by extra power that you need to spend, right? Right. Very different from the ground transport where you have the ground to support your weight of batteries. In the air, you don't have the grounds. You need to support it with basically spending power. And then you can run into this runaway cycle where you need more battery to carry more battery and it just doesn't work. So it's the hardest one to do out of all transport. And one other thing that not a lot of people realize is that in aviation, climate impact is not just about carbon, right? So on the carbon basis, aviation is maybe two and a half, three percent right now of the total human emissions, similar to how we account for methane emissions, which are much more potent than carbon. Mm-hmm. Aviation emissions are more potent as well because they occur at high altitude. Right. And all of that NOx, SOx, nitrogen oxide, sulfur oxides, particulate emissions, high temperature water vapor, they all are additional climate agents and they add additional 2x on top of the carbon. So the real footprint of aviation today is already between 7 and 10% wow. of the total human climate impact. And then back to the growth rates, of course, during the pandemic, everybody was, well, you know, we don't know if aviation will come back. Maybe we'll all stay on Zoom forever and nobody will travel. But that's not what's happening. No, I can tell you there are more Americans in Paris right now than there are Parisians. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. But people are, you know, social animals, right? We want to be connected. We need that personal connection, especially personal, but also on business. You know, it's very hard to build business relationship when you're always on Zoom. You need to have that connection. You need people to trust you, and trust is built in person, generally speaking, right? All these nonverbal cues and everything. So, you know, now we're out of pandemic largely. You see the growth rates came back up. And then some. And then some. So we're on the 3 to 5% year-over-year traffic growth in aviation. So if we just keep business as usual on what we're doing with fuel and propulsion in aviation, then we easily can go from 7 to 10% to 25 50% in 2050. Right. That's a huge problem. And it's the hardest. Is that the projections? Yeah, actually, now several third parties. 50 percent more people flying than already today. Well, it will be more than 50 percent more because it's three to five percent year over year in 30 years. That's more like three X, three times more. Three times more people flying. And if you think about it, it actually. I'm going to retire to the country by then, so I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) You all can come see me. There's going to be less and less country left, unfortunately. There will still be some, I think, in 2050. But if you think about it, you know, I think there are statistics that worldwide, only about 10% of the people have ever been in the airplane. Some small number, right? 10 or 15%. Because most of the developing countries that are, of course, you know, getting more and more per capita income and their quality of life is improving, they haven't had a chance once they're able they will all do it because people, again, want to get connected, want to see new places. Right now, they may be taking long-time journeys like I was when I was young, when I wanted to visit And in Europe, we have such great train networks that it's easy to go through life and stay in Europe and visit all of Europe and never step foot on a plane. Yeah, It's really easy. 
especially if you're doing the vacation travel uh, when you don't have time pressures. It's great. Yeah. There are spots. I remember when actually about a year ago, I had to go from Paris to Davos. That was an interesting train journey. So I was like, I'm not going to fly. It's you know, I'm going to take the clean transport. Starting out of Paris, the, my first train got delayed well, by yeah. an hour. And then the whole thing just completely went to chaos. The Swiss authorities said, well, we don't have responsibility for French train system. <laughs> and there that went. It was an interesting experience. So there are benefits for long distance travel that you can get from airplanes. Yeah, um, we just need to make them absolutely. clean. Absolutely. So how does your technology work? It's hydrogen and it's electricity, right? Can you explain it to us? That's right. So this is a problem, right? Today we have a problematic fossil fuel and propulsion solution. And two problems really are the fact that we're using non-renewable fuel and that we combust it to produce all these factors, all these climate agents. So we need to make our fuel renewable so that we can sustainably produce it. And we need to get away from combustion of that fuel. Even with hydrogen, for example, that you can sustainably produce from electrolysis, from green power, even with hydrogen, if you combust it, you still have nitrogen oxides, you still have high temperature water vapor, and at best, you can solve maybe half of your climate right. impact from aviation because it's not just about carbon. Yeah, it will have zero carbon, but all these other things will still be there. So you really need to get away from combustion, which means that you need to make the airplane electric. Unfortunately, batteries just fundamentally are not lightweight enough no. and robust enough to provide enough electricity for a large plane, let's say with 100 people or more, to go long distances, let's say 1,000 miles, something like across the entire Europe or over ocean. It's just not enough energy. So the only way we can get enough energy, enough electricity on board the aircraft is to have something like hydrogen, which is a great lightweight fuel, converted into electricity through fuel cells. And that's what we do. So we build the technology across all of these areas, hydrogen fuel cells, power electronics to take that electricity and convert it into what motors can use, and electric motors, very high power, very lightweight, put everything together, and that's what Zero Avia does, right? We built engine replacements for commercial aircraft. So we won't have those things on the sides going anymore? We won't have them going We will still have turbines some swirling around. No turbines, but we'll still have... Because that's the combustion, I imagine, right? Turbines are combustion, but we'll still have the front fans, right? So if you look at the engine, you see the front fan. That's the only thing you see. But behind that, that actually produces most of the noise is, is the actual turbine. Right, and the turbine produces power to rotate that fan. Most of the thrust, most of the forward motion is produced by that fan. It's almost like a propeller. You saw the smaller planes with a propeller. So these are right. effectively propellers with a large number of blades designed a little bit differently and put into a, an enclosure. Right, so those things will still remain because we need to move air in order to move the aircraft. Those fans will be rotated by hydrogen electric engines instead of the turbine. Can you use this technology in other transportation? Can we use it in cars? Can we use it in trains? Can we use it in... You definitely can. Hey, heavy machinery, for example. Machinery? We actually have some discussions with mining companies that have some similar challenges. They operate sometimes at high altitudes in difficult environments. Merchant ships, like all those container ships, that's another hard to abate sector. The energy to go across the ocean, the energy requirement is quite high and you need to carry everything with you. 
you have water supporting you, so a little bit better, but the amount of energy is just enormous. And we have some discussions with those folks as well. If you make it work in aviation, then you can make it work in all of these other sectors because the aviation is the hardest one. Now, that's part of the reason why we focus on aviation as our first application. Another reason, of course, is personally myself. I'm a pilot and I'm pretty passionate about the whole industry and I don't want it to go to zero. How did you get into this? When did you all start this project and how quickly has it developed? About six years ago. That's my good. story is I'm a physicist by training and then ended up in Silicon Valley in the middle of the dot-com boom. And that's how I got turned over to the dark side into entrepreneurship and, and business. Went to McKinsey for a little bit, management consulting, sort of to learn the ropes. Joined Google, also in Silicon Valley, of course. Did some interesting things there, started new products, a few other things. And then started my previous company. So Zero Ave is my second successful company. So I started some companies before that that were, you know, so-so. But before Zero Ave, Electric Motor Works was my previous company that was building large networks of smart charging stations for electric vehicles. That company, we grew, became profitable, and we sold it to a large utility. And that happened about six years ago. So that's when I started. Which one? Edison in California or someplace else? NL, Italian Utility. My company became one of major parts of their e-mobility initiatives. And now they're, of course, building networks all over the place. It's good to see the next generation. So that was my previous company. So I was already in sustainable transport space. But at the same time, I'm a private pilot for the last 20 years. So when the time came to think about what's next, it was a relatively easy choice. All of this problem statement for the climate change that we were getting into a situation when aviation is on track to become one of the largest remaining sources of climate impact. So at the same time, I have a personal passion for it. So it made a lot of sense. How is this being rolled out commercially? Where are you in the progress in testing and in development? Going pretty well. We have flown a number of prototypes already. We have flown a first prototype in the U.S. back in 2019. Where are you doing the test flying? Today, we're doing the tests in the U.K., actually. So I split my time between the west coast of U.S., uh, where we have two offices, one in California, one in Seattle, San Francisco Bay Area in Seattle, and the U.K. So we have three locations in the U.K. In the lovely Cotswolds, is our it's test airport. Area. Yeah, it's a reasonably remote location, as remote as you can get in that part of the country, I guess, right between London and Bristol. So we're doing tests of the full-size engine, full-size aircraft there, 20-seat aircraft and large engine. We were planning to bring aircraft of that size to commercial use by 2025 in the next two and a half years. And there's how many planes that fall into that category? Yeah, about 10,000 aircraft worldwide. If you look at the total markets, they're, depending how you count, between 100,000 and 150,000 commercial aircraft worldwide out there. Wow. The first 10,000 that we're covering is in this small segment, a small uh, aircraft segment. But 10% is already enormous. Yeah, yeah. A typical application of that is you have island nations, for example, like Maldives. That's the type of aircraft that's flown there. Um, in the U.S., you have Hawaii. In the U.K., you have a good number of operators that fly that as well. And short domestic flights. When I used to fly from Savannah to Atlanta, it'd be on one of those little planes. The next segment that we're doing is 2027, so four or five years out, and that's a 40 to 80 seat aircraft. That is more of a traditional sort of regional propeller planes. You see a lot of them, especially in Europe. We already started testing the engine components for that size aircraft, so it's well on track. 
So these are happening pretty soon. So one is two and a half years out, another one is four to five years out. People will be able to buy tickets on those. Wow. This will be clean flying, right? So it's very, very close. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and at select stores. If you're enjoying this episode, check out our interview with Echo Pioneer Dale Vince, founder of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, and Sky Diamond, a tech startup that grows diamonds from carbon captured from the air. Find it and all Green Dream episodes wherever you get your podcasts. To read more hopeful climate stories, sign up for the Green Dream newsletter on our website, thegreendream.studio. And check out my new Substack page on substack.com. There you'll find all of my newsletters and podcasts, zippy daily posts, and for a small subscription, a plethora of fab bonus material. Now back to our interview with Val Miftikoff, founder of Zero Avia, a zero emissions aviation company. How are the big airlines, are they embracing this? Are they into it? Is it a bit like, you know, GM and Ford, they were a bit slow on the EV project. I remember them talking about electric vehicles back when I was a kid in the 70s, right? 50 years That's later, right. we're finally getting EVs. Now that they've gotten onto it, it's full speed ahead. Is that what's happening with aviation? Are they really embracing this and ready to pivot out of combustion engines? So the airlines are, the airlines are, right? The equivalents in the car industry would be, I guess, car rental companies, right? So the actual users, and you see people like Hertz for example, buying 100,000 Teslas and things like that, right? right? So the equivalents in the aviation industry, airlines, they're definitely going after the zero emission technologies. In fact, we already have almost $10 billion worth of pre-orders from airlines wow, and have intense. four out of top 10 largest airlines worldwide as our customers and many of them as investors, right? So United Airlines, American Airlines, British Airways, and a number of others uh, are customers. They're investing in the yeah, company? Yeah, they're investors and customers, yeah. And also Amazon is an investor. Amazon's, that's right. And uh, they're one of the largest, uh, if not the largest cargo carrier with all those prime packages everybody right. wants to see on their doorstep. The next you know, morning, and, exactly. The same day if they can. <laughs> Exactly. So all of that is air transport, right? Most of it is air transport. And we need to make cargo clean as well. And Amazon really looking at companies like us to bring the technology. So that's why they invested in Zerov as well. But, because there's a but here. So if the airlines, which are like the car rental companies, are into this, who is not? Mm. So the engine manufacturers are not super mm. uh, you know, excited about all this transition because Similar to your car example, right, GM and others, the incumbents, they've invested all this tens of billions of dollars and pounds and euros into legacy technology over the last years and decades. So they just want to continue cranking profits out of that. They're really... Why change? Exactly, right? So they really... Cost money to change. Don't want to accelerate this transition. And that's what was happening with the automotive, right? People are like, well, this electric stuff, you know, maybe it's not serious. We're just going to continue doing this and then we'll see what happens, right? So we're talking about the Boeings of the world and... The closest comparison and- is actually engine manufacturers, right? So in the aviation world, the engines are made by a separate 
set of companies, and the aircrafts are made by separate set of companies. So Boeing's of the world and Airbus make airplanes, but they don't make engines. Right. And who makes the engines? So GE makes GE engines. Makes engines uh, right? Pratt and Whitney in the U.S. makes engines. Safran in France makes engines. And the fourth one is Rolls-Royce, the top four. But Rolls-Royce is into this, I think. I've read that yeah, Rolls-Royce yeah. is actually... Similar to how it was in the automotive industry when everybody had a project and some PR around it and some concept vehicles for the last 10 years. You have engine manufacturers also talking about it, but really you know, not spending a lot and not pushing it hard enough. Most of these new efforts are focused on basically, well, we have these turbines, they're great, they can burn fuel, so why don't you give us better fuel to burn? We just continue doing that. But there is a problem with burning in the first place. It's less efficient, it produces all those climate effects that are additional, uh, so you really need to disrupt yourself if you want to play. And large companies are not great at that. Are there startups that are building engines? Yeah, there are startups like us. So there are some battery electric companies out there for smaller vehicles. There's a whole VTOL revolution that's happening. There are over 100 companies that are building air taxes today. More of the replacing the ground taxes or ground transportation, complex ground transportation, relatively long ground trips with short air trips. So not really addressing big aviation. But there are some companies that are working on the large aircraft as well. We had Dale Vince from Ecotricity on the Green Dream a few months ago, and he was talking about how he's also moving into aviation. It was still a bit hush-hush. Don't know details about the project, but, uh, you know, they're in renewable electricity and I think might be involved with vertical airspace, vertical aviation. So this is the future of aviation. It's coming. It's going to be electrified. It has to be electrified. We have to get away from combustion. The overall story for the world, right, looks like we need to electrify as much as possible, ideally everything, right? And then make our electricity generation clean. We know how to do the second part already, more or less. It's the first part that half of the stuff we have done, but the other half we need to still develop technology for. And we are taking the aviation piece off it. And as you said in the beginning, there is a lot of relevance of the technology that we develop into other sectors. Right. And for some of these sectors, you need much better storage of electricity than batteries. And that's green hydrogen is effectively that, right? So you take electricity through electrolysis, you produce hydrogen. It's very lightweight, very compact storage medium for electricity, for that energy. And then you use that on board the vehicles to reconvert back to electricity to run your electric motors. Now, what about the issue of batteries? I mean, our life is filled with batteries now and battery disposal is a big problem. Mm. And they're not the cleanest thing we've ever made in technology. So how are you all tackling the battery issue? Because you were talking about how you're storing energy. So I imagine a battery of some sort. Yeah, so we're not using batteries, right? So we're storing that energy in the hydrogen chemically. Oh, in the hydrogen. And that's the big reason why we don't use batteries exactly because of that. So for cars, for personal cars, it's okay. And even then, if you do the math across the world, right, we have close to 2 billion vehicles now, I think, in the world. And if you want to convert all of those into batteries, you'll run into raw materials availability problem. If you manage to have it, then you have a recycling problem because the car lasts, uh, generally speaking, maybe 10 years. So every 10 years, you have the full recycle issue that you need to deal with and how you do that. There are companies that are building technology around it, but that's a lot of material to process. 
That's part of the reason why we think that this hydrogen electric approach is a better approach, especially for industries like aviation, where not only the weight matters so much, but also you go through many, many more cycles on your battery charge cycles. If you take your iPhone, for example, right, or your phone, your battery lasts maybe 500 to 1,000 cycles in that phone. Right? And you notice this. After a year or two years, your phone doesn't hold the charge anymore that well. Same thing's happening with batteries in the cars as well. So in a Tesla, for instance, uh, you, know, you maybe have a thousand cycle battery, which is okay for personal use because you'd be driving, average American drives 40 miles, needs to recharge only once a week, right? So a thousand weeks is 20 years. That's okay for the duration of the car. Right. But in a regional aircraft, it flies 10 trips a day. So instead of recharging only once a week, you would have to recharge 10 times a day. Right. And then your battery suddenly lasts only four to six right. months and then you need to replace it. So multiply that by the number of vehicles that we have uh, and you have an even bigger materials yeah. problem. And that's even before you talk about how heavy the battery is and how hard it is to put it in the aircraft and carry it. So really, this is why we use hydrogen and not use batteries. Interesting. Now, you all recently announced a partnership with an airport in northeast Sweden. Can you tell us about that? Scandinavian countries are very interesting for us overall because of the renewable power availability and reliance on regional aviation right. as well. Also, there is a great momentum there around hydrogen in all the countries, especially Norway and Sweden. We see a lot of stars aligned, so to speak, for those markets. And it was exciting to announce some of the recent partnerships with the airlines there and with some of the airports. Actually, one of key technology partners that we work together with on the fuel cell systems, PowerCell is Swedish, so that was a good connection there as well. Sweden plans to have all domestic flights fossil-free by 2030. That's really ambitious. It's just around the corner. Yeah, it's pretty close. So they really need to speed up the transition and we're happy to help. You have several countries like that, actually. Uh, 2030 is very, very soon. It's around the corner. Uh, but Norway said earlier, I think in 2020, they said by 2040, we want all domestic flights to be zero emission. Then, of course, France is pushing away from the regional flights into the trains because of the emissions. And uh, no situations, our pitch is that, well, if we bring zero emission through zero zero emission flight through zero climate impact uh, flights, which probably let people still fly. You know, there is convenience aspects, there is speed aspects, and there is flexibility, right? To make a train route somewhere, that's a lot of infrastructure that you need to build. If there are new routes that you need to build, it's like, yeah, France is great, but the rest of Europe, there are spots there, especially Eastern Europe, not a lot of great connectivity. And to make those routes with train is a very large investment versus flight. You can just build a small airstrip or there are a lot of airports already available and you don't need any rails to go, right? Uh, the infrastructure investment is very small. So you can expand the network and cover many, many more people very quickly. That's actually good for society as well. I think with clean flight, we're going to have a lot more connectivity than we have right nice. now. Nice. And what about in the private aviation sector? Because that's the 1% come under fire for flying all over the world in their toxic polluting planes. Is this something that can be easily adapted to the private aviation world too, since they're smaller planes? 
Yeah, it will definitely be adapted. And we already have some customers, fractional jet operators. Like like NetJets and things like that? Companies like that, yes. That basically charter jets for trips. So the having owner operator is not the ideal customer for us because we don't have fuel infrastructure everywhere. We need to supply hydrogen for these flights. But if you're a fractional jet operator, you can say, I have this frequent route. Maybe Paris-Nice is a good route. And I'm just going to put this zero emission plane on that route. Whenever people want to fly it, I'll fly that. And that way you can put two fueling locations at those places and you can enable that route. It becomes similar to scheduled service, a typical airline use case. And that works well with this new fuel. I actually wrote about a company called Vistajet a few years ago and the founder of Vistajet which is another one of those companies. So this is the future of aviation where we'll be able to have clean planes and fly guilt-free, essentially. Exactly. And there is much lower level of noise as well. And that was the next question I was going to ask. What about the noise? No smell. Oh, no smell. No noise. No noise. And no pollution, right? That jet fuel, I don't know about you, but I hate the smell of jet it's fuel. It's so toxic smelling. Yeah. It's terrible. And dumping the fuel when they have too much and they're having to come in early mm. or yeah, is yeah. terrible for the environment. But then the noise, I mean, I get off a plane now and I can't hear for about 24 hours. I find it so yeah. loud. So they're quieter. Yeah, definitely quieter. So most of the noise that you hear from most of the planes is coming from the engine. Right. And then, you know, some noise from the propulsors, from the fans as well. But most of the noise is from the actual engine. Electric engine is obviously silent, near silent. So that you're not going to have. And we actually demonstrated some of that in our test flights as well. So we were able to just slow down the propeller just a little bit. And you could not hear it. It's 500 feet away. You could not hear it, the airplane in the air. A bit like Tesla's. So then you'll have to start putting noise in the planes like EVs now so we can hear them coming. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting though, because of course, part of the allure and the signature of a plane when it's taking off and it's landing is, you know, you hear the takeoff, but when you're in the plane. You're right next to the airport, you'll probably hear it still, but today you can't, the noise pollution is enormous around these large airports. It's more like the Wright brothers back in Kitty Hawk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quiet. (laughs) This is actually important. If you look at why we don't build more airports, for example, typical cases, perhaps extreme, but this third runway extension in Heathrow, it's been around for, I think, over decades, that idea, and it's still not, not moving. Because a lot of the noise pollution, right? Nobody wants to sit next to the airport, all this takeoffs and landings even. So noise is a big deterrent for expanding aviation, expanding this connectivity method. If you have silent planes or near silent planes, then a lot of that moves away. Again, you can grow connectivity. I think personally, sort of from the societal perspective, I think aviation has a mission of connecting people. And we can connect people so much better in so many more places if we don't have pollution from this mode of transport and we don't have noise pollution from this mode of transport is going to be so much greater. So that's my personal mission there. I remember when I grew up, I was a student in Washington, D.C. and living in Georgetown. And there would be times you'd have to stop talking in the house or you'd stop talking on the telephone because the planes were coming down the Potomac to land a national airport. It was just relentless. 
relentless and exhausting to listen to. In so many places now, they've put in rules that you can't take off before six in the morning and you can't fly after midnight because of the noise. That's right. So this will open up a whole new world to aviation in that regard. Our house here is under the approach path to San Francisco International Airport. It's not even on the final. The planes are just doing the pattern turn here, right? They're 5,000 feet up in the air. But when they start doing that at 5.30 a.m., you hear it. So even 5,000 feet in the air on the 20 miles before they land, I can't even imagine what it sounds like right next to the airport. Wow. Well, this sounds very promising and very exciting. And so by the time it all comes in, there'll be three times more people flying, and I'll probably be very retired in the country. But I'll still get on one of your planes and check it out, even if it just means going back to the United States for a holiday break. It's wonderful to have you on The Green Dream and explaining clean future of aviation. This is very hopeful, and we like to call ourselves the podcast of hope. So thanks for giving us more hope, and good luck. Thank you very much, Dana. Great to be here. And this point, it's not just hope. We're already flying these things, and they do become commercial in the next few short years. So looking forward to having you on our planes. Excellent. Me too. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and at select stores. Thank you for tuning into The Green Dream. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To follow all we do, sign up for The Green Dream newsletter on our website, thegreendream.studio. And check out my new Substack page on substack.com. There you'll find all of my newsletters and podcasts, zippy daily posts, and for a small subscription, a plethora of fab bonus material. I'll be back in two weeks with a sparkling episode featuring jewelry expert Carol Woolton and Time Magazine film critic Stephanie Saharic. We'll talk about all the gems on display at the coronation of King Charles III, who we think of here as the Green King. And we'll discuss how the jewelry business is pivoting to greener practices, and for a bit of fun, the red carpet and green-themed movies at the Cannes Film Festival. We hope you'll join us. The Green Dream was written by Dana Thomas. From Talkbox Productions with executive producer Tavia Gilbert and mix and master by Kayla Elrod. Music performed by Eric Brace of Red Beat Records in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Dana Thomas, the European Sustainability Editor for British Vogue. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, where my handle for both is at Dana Thomas Paris. And you can sign up for the Green Dream newsletter at our website, thegreendream.studio. Thank you for listening.